You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Nativity scenes are everywhere, right? I mean, look at this picture that's here on the screen right now. And the word nativity, it comes from the Latin word that translates birth. In the nativity scene, we set out each year, whether it be in our house, in our, on our shelves, in our yards. It's there to give the uh, proclamation, if you will, through display that we celebrate this Christmas season, the, the birth of Jesus Christ, surrounded there in that manger by his mother and his earthly father, Joseph by barn animals and the angels who have proclaimed, the shepherds who have come from afar. It's a beautiful scene, but it's also one that's dirty, lowly. This beautiful picture of God sending Jesus to this earth. These are all about Jesus and his birth. And it's all because of, like Pastor Walter said a few moments ago, the love that God has for us. The fact that he would come for sinful people. Such a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to remember in this season. I remember when we made our official announcement that we were pregnant with Adeline some almost nine years ago. It blows my mind. Through much trial and tribulation of years and years of praying and hoping for a child, finally the time had come. We found out we were pregnant. And so at that time, there, there weren't a lot of, the gender reveal things weren't really big, really necessarily at that time, but social media announcements were. So we went and we went out to the Morris Island Lighthouse on the beach and we had these professional pictures taken with this sign that, that, that indicated that we were pregnant and that we were so excited and we, we announced it to the world. Let everybody know, like, hey, the time had come. God had blessed us. We have this child that is on the way. And when we made that announcement, it's like everything settled in, right? It got real. The preparation had begun. Our worlds were about to change forever. It wasn't just us anymore. It was a child that we were responsible for. And all the preparation and, and whatnot had begun, as I said. There was furniture to buy. There was furniture to build. Good gracious, that crib gave me such trouble putting it together. I had to get all those things ready. I had to paint the walls. I had to do everything. We had to pray a lot. I had to go to doctor's appointments. I had to do all of those things to prepare for what had come, what was about to come, the arrival of of our child. See, God throughout the Old Testament had been continually preparing his people for what was to come. He had prophesied through the prophets, proclaiming that the Messiah would one day come. And then, as we know from the Christmas story, there out in the field, keeping watch over the sheep, their flock by night, the angels appear and herald the good news that Messiah had been born. Today's account, we're going to see when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. And when he appears to Mary, he tells her the news that changes her life. That she would bear the Messiah radically changing her world. There's several passages today, so we won't stand and look. We're going to start out in Isaiah 7.14, as you see there on the screen, then we'll jump over to Luke. But if you would, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. 
Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you right now. Lord, thankful for who you are. Lord, just as we sang, Lord, we adore you. We want to give you all the glory, praising your name forever. Because God, at the right divine moment, you chose to come in the humblest of ways, in a dirty manger, as an infant child, to eventually go to the cross of Calvary, to die because of our sin. But Lord, you resurrected on the third day and you have ascended at the right hand, Jesus. And we wait. We wait for the day of your return. Or may we wait with expectation, with eagerness, with submission to you. We pray, Lord, now in these next few moments, God, that you'd have your way. Lord, speak through me. May you get all the glory. We love you, Lord. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for this passage today, this message, God fulfilled his promise in lovingly giving Jesus to us. We must prepare ourselves for this newness of life that he gives despite the disruptions that they may bring, giving excuses, giving no excuses as we willingly submit to God. If you're taking notes, hope you are. Here's the first point. We prepare for the birth of something new. We prepare for the birth of something new. Much like new parents will prepare for the arrival of a newborn child, the prophet Isaiah writes to us, writes to the people, writes in the word of God, the words to tell that God would send the Messiah, something new that would radically change everything. We've already referenced Isaiah in this series. Last week, Pastor Walter, when he's talking about the advent of joy, he references the the thought process of, can you imagine Isaiah's excitement as he pins Isaiah 40, talking about the Messiah that would come? Just a little earlier in Isaiah's book, in 714, it reads this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah declares that the virgin will conceive and bear a son. This is the sign that God gives. Hey, world, people of God, listen, here's your clue. This is coming. Prepare yourself. This is how you will know that the time has come. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. It's a specific promise from God that is declared through Isaiah. And the people of God, they were told to prepare, as I said. Eventually the Messiah would come, and they knew that exact sign to look for. The people were told of the Old Testament prophecies, how to prepare, yet most didn't expect it in the way in which God delivered it. Most were expecting some warrior to come through and overthrow the government and those who were oppressed, yet the Savior of the world comes in the lowly manger, in the form of an infant child, born to a virgin teenage woman, and her husband, Joseph. What does this do for us today? What does it do for us today? 
The birth of Jesus happens 2,000 plus years ago, but it's not something that doesn't happen then and doesn't impact today. Because it does impact today. It impacts our lives today. We prepare for the birth of something new because of the birth of Jesus. The ultimate purpose for this new life would be death, as I said when I prayed. Jesus' purpose of coming in the birth, the Messiah's purpose of coming, would eventually lead to a cross where he would die for the sins of the world. Something so beautiful in the moment of the birth of a child would lead 33 some odd years later to a brutal, excruciating death. All so that you and I could experience something new. Something life-changing. That is salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. The ultimate purpose would be this death, this resurrection that provides this new life. In this season of Advent, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. If it's flying by, I know. But in this season of Advent, we still prepare for something new. Something new that God wants to even do in us today and in what he will do in the future. Because there's a day coming when the waiting stops. There's a day coming where we no longer wait in anticipation and eagerness and waiting saying, God, would you please return? No, there's a day coming when he comes back. And when he comes back, everything is made new. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more broken marriage. There's no more broken finances. There's no more sin and shame. All things are made new. And all things are made new because of this birth. Because of the love of God demonstrated to mankind who were his enemies. If that is not the definition of love, I don't know what is, church. Beautiful. So we must prepare ourselves for something new. The birth of something new. Maybe even something that God would do in us individually, something that God would do in us corporately. We must ask him, what is he wanting to do in us? Point number two, we'll transition over to Luke. When God shows up, our lives are disrupted. When God shows up, our lives are disrupted. Let's look at Luke chapter one, starting in 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, when it says there the sixth month, it is referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. She is the relative of Mary. She is the one that is to have John the Baptist. You may remember from the account, after this happens, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And what happens there when she sees her? The baby, John the Baptist, that is in Elizabeth's womb, he leaps when he's in the presence of Mary, in the presence ultimately of Jesus in her womb. He leaps 
The man is proclaiming the way of the Lord before he even comes out of the womb. This is Elizabeth. This is the sixth month of her pregnancy. That alone is miraculous. We'll get to that in a moment. And it says there in 27 that she's a virgin. It's her state. She's, she's not conceived a child just yet. She's never had intimacy with a man, obviously. She's a virgin. And it's important to note, too, that Joseph is a descendant of David. That is so important because all of the prophecies did what? They pointed to the Messiah that would come, and he would come of the Davidic line. You may remember from like the book of Ruth, for example, had Boaz not gone and redeemed Ruth, there would have been no David. It would have thrown off the whole line, yet God in his providence makes sure everything works out perfectly according to his sovereign plan. Which leads down the line to David, which ultimately leads to King Jesus. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Notice, Gabriel gives this greeting and he says, favored one. It means grace or charis in the Greek. And Mary has received this grace from God. It's the same type of language that we see when we look in the Old Testament. I know it's not Greek in the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, it gives the same type of meaning as when God refers in, to Moses or Noah, the same kind of grace that has been demonstrated to them. And he says, the Lord is with you. It's not this greeting of, hey, may the Lord be with you. No, no, no. It's this greeting, the Lord is with you. God is with Mary. The mighty God Almighty, he is there. He is with you. Can you imagine Mary's reaction? There's got to be fear. There's got to be like, wait, what, what is going on right now? This teenage girl, what in the world is happening? We see in 29, he came to her and he said, oh, excuse me, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's troubled at hearing this. It's troubled. God is coming in this moment. He shows up and is starting to disrupt things in Mary's life, ultimately for a greater purpose. We have to understand Mary. She's young, early teens. She's this poor peasant girl. Why does God reveal this truthful hope to her? Why does God come and choose her? I think God, much like he does in his word, uses people that are not necessarily the ones that would be chosen as the favorites to do miraculous things through. I talked about the shepherds a moment ago. When the shepherds are out in the field, they're the outcasts of society. They didn't have time to go into synagogue because they're around stinky, nasty sheep all the time. That's their only concern. Nobody wants anything to do with the shepherds. Yet God chooses there, after 400 years of silence, to light up the sky and herald the good news to the shepherds. 
God uses the people that couldn't make it through the religious system to call, as Jesus says, come and follow me, and uses those 12 to kickstart a mission that changes the world. God comes to a young teenage girl and uses her to bear the Savior of the world. It doesn't matter for us who we are, where we've been, what we've done, what our plans may be. God's plans are always, always greater, and He will be glorified. Despite what we've done, who we are, you fill in the blank. This is the difference the love of God to use someone like Mary for this divine moment. Look at verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Let's read 31 through 33 together. Moment. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Here we see this direct fulfillment of the prophecies. Gabriel is telling her, Mary, this is what's going to happen. Pay attention. And it's this direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9, 6 through 7, which reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There it even tells us the government will be upon his shoulder. In verse 32, it reads to us from the Luke account, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Gabriel is saying, this is what has been prophesied. This is the reality. The son that you will bear is the one. He's the one that has come that God has sent for this great purpose. This life-saving purpose. Jesus is the promised successor of David, as I've already said earlier. I won't read it. Don't worry about putting this one on the screen, but... 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 13. You can just jot that down in your notes. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. It's when Samuel is indicating to David of what will come with Jesus. But when Jesus comes, he will be the one to overthrow evil. He will be the one to conquer the grave. See, God has shown up in this moment, and as I said, it causes this obvious disruption. This obvious disruption. It wasn't part of Mary and Joseph's plan, was it? No, no, no. They were betrothed to be married. There was no plan of a baby in that moment. 
yet God comes in. She's a virgin, and now she's being told that she's going to become pregnant, although she's never been intimate with anyone. She's been told that she's going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Think about Joseph for a minute. His world has been disrupted here as well when he hears the news. His fiancée has suddenly become pregnant. It's obviously not his baby. How do you explain this to your friends and your family, Joseph? Do you know that Mary has said that an angel has told her this? Can you believe that? Like there's obvious things that are probably playing out in Joseph's mind. We know that Joseph is like, all right, I've settled it. I've got to be done with you. And God has to come to Joseph in a dream to tell him, listen, Joseph, this is real. What Mary is saying is true. You must go forward with this. For the political power of the day, it was an obvious disruption. King Herod is in control of all of Israel. And for this baby to come into the world, the Son of God, the King of kings, the promised Messiah, it's meant that all the kings would have to go. This was a disruption. We know that even from Herod with his reaction to the wise men. He tries to play the wise men when they come up and say, hey, we're here to see the Messiah, the king that's been born. He tries to get on their good side, but no, 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 it doesn't work out the way he wants. He gets angry. This disruption comes because of the promise that God loves his people so much that he would come to dwell with them and use this humble girl for the purpose. Ultimately, the arrival of God's love to this world is a disruption to the sin and shame of this world. What about us? What about us? When we have disruptions in our lives, what do we do with them? Do we avoid them or do we embrace them? When God is trying to do something new in us, Does it bring about feelings of excitement? Does it bring about confusion? Does it bring about hard times, questioning times? Yes, all of the above, and it's uncomfortable. What kind of disruptions maybe are you even facing right now? Maybe you've got a new job and it's not turned out the way you thought it would. That's not my case. I love my new job. Maybe, maybe something's up with that and it's just this disruption in your life. And you're like, I, I, this, this isn't working the way I thought it would. Maybe you're experiencing grief or loss. Maybe you're trying so hard in this Advent season to focus on the reason for it all and you're so anxious about everything that's still on your list. Maybe you're just worn down. Maybe you're tired. Regardless of all of those things, God wants to do something in you and through you during this time. And in doing that, it brings about disruption. But when God brings about disruptions, it's for a greater purpose. It's to be used by him for the glory of his name and to be transformed as you walk with him. Why does he do that? It's because he loves you. Because he loves me. 
God's plans are always, always better than our own, no matter how good we think they may be. We all have to give some type of a response when God comes and shows up. Let's look at Mary's response. Point number three, we all have new birth excuses. Mary's response, beginning in 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She gives what would be the normal, like, hold up now. I don't understand how what you're telling me is going to work because I'm a virgin. Like, how is this to be? Five, the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This can only be done through God and the Holy Spirit coming upon her. Mary will become pregnant in this moment. The term therefore in those verses indicates that Jesus' holiness is from being conceived of the Holy Spirit. That means that he does not inherit the sinful disposition of Adam like you and I do. Therefore, it means that the birth which leads to the cross is for a great purpose because he is the sinless Lamb of God whose blood is poured out in our place. It's the beauty of this moment of him being born of the Virgin Mary, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. He's fully God. He's fully man. The God-man who would go to sacrifice his life. Look at verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Gabriel gives Mary some big news. Remember, Mary hasn't gone and seen Elizabeth yet. He gives her big news. Elizabeth was barren. She could not have kids. Yet God in this moment intervenes and look what happens. She becomes pregnant. This incredible news is delivered to Mary Her old relative, Elizabeth, is now pregnant. The odds were stacked against her, but God. God intervened. God did an incredible work. And I encourage you right now, if you don't mind writing in your Bibles, underline it. If you're in your phone, highlight it. I don't care what you do. Write it out as it's on the screen. Verse 137, for nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. I wish that the writers would have put an exclamation mark there. We love that verse so much in our house that it's, on, it's in a frame in our living room between the pictures of the kids. Nothing possible with God. This promise of God prophesied for centuries can only be fulfilled through the working of God Almighty. There's no way that this could happen by man and man alone. It is only with God that all things are possible, especially a divine moment like this of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Any and all excuses would have come from Mary's lips, and yet she gives none. 
Mary doesn't give any kind of excuse. By worldly standards, we could see her saying, hey, wait a second now, I'm not the right person for this job. Have you thought about so-and-so? Why choose me? I don't know if this is the right thing to do. No, she doesn't give any of that. She gives no excuse to Gabriel in that moment. All of these things that she could have said, she doesn't. Let me ask a question. Times has God been trying to do something in and through us, and we've given excuses? And I am not asking that way because I ask myself that this week as I have prepared this message. I promise you. How many times have God been calling us to do something and we have given the yeah but? many times have things been going on in our lives and we just throw in the towel and we give an excuse to say it's not worth it anymore my marriage is too far gone there's no way that God could fix this there's no way that God could forgive me for what I did fill in the blank there's too much damage that's been done in that relationship with my family it's it's pointless There's no way that I can beat this temptation. Whatever the case may be, we are all quick to jump in with what the worldly standards would say is a, hey, choose your truth, do what you need to do. Man, you're right, that ain't gonna work out. Man, leave her, leave him. Don't worry about that no more. Man, it makes you happy, you keep doing it. No, no, and no, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. This nativity, this birth of Jesus, it changed the world 2,000 years ago, and this birth has changing the world today. And it will continue to change this world every single day until he comes back from heaven and makes it all new. It will, it can. That is the purpose and the mission of the church of God. is to proclaim and demonstrate it to a lost and dying world. The same Holy Spirit of God who overshadowed Mary to bring the baby Jesus into her womb is the same Holy Spirit of God that indwells every single believer in this room or listening online. That same Holy Spirit that did that miraculous moment that lives inside of you and me is the same Holy Spirit, the same power of God that brought Jesus up from the grave. And he can and he will use each and every one of us if we're obedient, if we're following him, if we're striving to make much of his name. This ain't no prosperity gospel, but I can tell you the Lord wants to do something miraculous in our lives. He wants to do something miraculous through us to a lost and dying world. For some of us in this room right now or listening online, he may want to do some, something miraculous of moving you from death to life. Because I would be foolish to think that every single person is a believer. Oh, I would love to think that. I don't know. None of us truly knows except for the individual person and the fruit that we see demonstrated. 
Maybe today is the day that you meet the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. For others, it may be a new venture that God has been calling you to and calling you to, and yet you've been pushing the brakes and given every excuse known to mankind. Whatever it may be, I can tell you this. The love of God is the primary reason for his coming. He's demonstrated it to us Are we willing to say, yes, Lord? Are we going to give new birth excuses? Which brings me to my last point, and it's just one verse. And it simply puts, submit to God. Submit to God. Verse 38 says, listen to the profound words. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Don't forget Mary's age. Don't forget the fact that Mary does not have much life experience at this point. Yet the faith and the boldness to say to Gabriel, behold, look, I am a servant of the Lord. Do unto me as you see fit. That is profound. As I said, she could have understandably by worldly standards given every excuse in the book, but she doesn't. She says, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Do to me what you want. Do to me as you see fit, God. Do we say the same thing? God, behold, I am a servant of yours. Do unto me as you see fit. If that means I got to walk down the street and introduce myself to that neighbor I know I've been needing to talk to, do it. That means I need to talk to that coworker. God, give me the boldness to do it. If that means I need to step out in faith and trust you and go to what you're calling me to, then God, I will do it. If the answer to that is yes, I say praise God. But if you're anything like me, and I think we can all agree we probably are with this, even as one of your pastors, there are times when we want to give every single excuse in the book. We're too tired. Don't have enough time. That'll be too hard. It wasn't too hard for the God of the universe to send his only begotten son to eventually die. I've really reflected on this this week. And I've like dreamed. And I have to ask you to to dream with me for a minute. What would it really look like in our faith family? What would it really look like in our community? What would it look like in this city if we all truly did that? And again, I'm not casting guilt. I'm not casting shame. I'm preaching to myself. 
What would it look like if every single follower of Jesus Christ within the sound of my voice didn't wait until Advent was over, didn't wait until 2023 starts in two weeks? What if every single one of us stopped and said, God, I have not submitted to you completely? I've reaped the benefits of you saving my soul, but I have not been on mission for you. What would it look like if we all did that? I tell you what it would look like. We would see the great commission fulfilled in this generation. We wouldn't just see pews filled for the sake of, feel, of pews being filled. Pews would continue to be filled because God's spirit is miraculously moving and working in and through us and people are coming to faith and their lives are being transformed and we have to continually pay a gigantic water bill because we keep dunking people. The first step before any of that happens is we must submit to God. So I ask you today, Are you truly submitted to God? Is your response like Mary? Father, behold, I am your servant. Do unto me according to your word. No matter what it looks like, no matter how uncomfortable it may make me feel, do unto me according to your word. I really want to challenge you in these next few moments. Whether you need to open a journal and write out a prayer to God, write out whatever he's speaking to you right now. I need you to quietly reflect and ask the Lord, God, what is it that is preventing me from submitting to you completely? And as he reveals that to you, and you may not get that right this moment, but as he reveals that to you in the days to come, What will you do with it? What will I do with it? What will we do with it? Because as we know, more and more people are coming to our city over and over and over every day. And more and more and more of them do not know this God that we serve. Don't wait till Advent's over. Don't wait till the new year begins. Start today. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are so wonderful. You are so loving and kind, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God, we are unworthy to call you our Abba Father. But Lord, we sent your son to die for us. And Lord, we rejoice in the new life that you give. 
But Lord, we reflect on the fact that that new life paid a price. It was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And Father, I pray, Lord, for every single person that's listening right now. Lord, I don't know what you may be speaking to them. Lord, I know the the things that you have been saying to me this week. And Lord, my heart's cry for everybody is, Lord, that we would truly have that response of Mary. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Do unto me as you see. Do unto me as you please, Lord. Do unto me whatever it is that you want. Oh, Lord, what a day it would be if that was all of our hearts cry. If that was the heart's cry of every church in Park Circle and in the city of North Charleston and the surrounding areas, God, we'd see an awakening. We'd see revival. And Lord, we beg you, God, that we will see that. Lord, as we conclude this Advent season this week, leading up to Christmas Day as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Lord, may you be our primary focus. Let the stresses of this world not take the front seat. Let the anxieties of trying to get everything accomplished not take the front seat. Lord, in the midst of our busyness, Lord, may we slow down and adore you. Because you alone are truly worthy. And that, Lord, gives us great joy. We love you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.